We are here with Jacob Holmer, who we are exceptionally honored to feature on our podcast. We met Jacob down at Barbier Farms when we had an opportunity to go down for a symposium. Jacob was actually featured in the symposium. We even have a little video of him writing. It's very inspiring. We came back and actually talked about Jacob to our <laughs> students and how exceptional he was. But I'm going to share a little bit about his background here. Jake is currently apprenticing at Barbier Farms in Healdsburg, California. After 18 plus years of experience with horses in multiple disciplines, he has found himself on the path of enlightened classical French dressage. Studying with Master Ikeur, Dominique, and Deborah Barbier, and their assistant trainer, Lauren Schultz. He is also a teacher and long-term practitioner of yoga and find its philosophies to be highly beneficial to the practice of horsemanship. Wow, I'm so excited. There's so much here between your experience at Barbier Farms, talking about enlightened classical French dressage, mm -hmm. some of that, what does that mean? your experience with yoga and embodiment. We had some really rich conversations over that Facebook group. So I'm just excited to talk to you some more and share your, your wisdom and experience with other people too. This is beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. I'm thrilled to be here and be talking with both of you too. It's a pleasure. Well, if you wouldn't mind, we'll hit the rewind button and go back a little bit. Like what first drew you to horses and you know, how'd you get started on this path? Well, I've always loved horses. It was not something that was that anyone else in my family is really that interested in other than my older sister a little bit. The only way I can really say it is that when I was like about 12 years old, I just started getting really adamant about wanting to be around horses. It just kind of came out of nowhere. It was not something that I, I can't say that I saw any one inspiring thing that just sent me over the edge with that. It was just a feeling that I had that I wanted to work with horses. And then so from there, I, I was convincing enough that, and my parents were supportive enough to entertained it. My very first horse that I ever had was a two-year-old Morgan mare. Wow. She was a hot and spicy little thing. And um, I learned so much from her. I had a really, uh, the, per the, the woman that I purchased her from was very knowledgeable and helped me a lot, thankfully. <laughs> But, uh, you know, interesting way to get started. We made just all the mistakes you can make together and it might not be the easiest way to get going. I would not trade that for anything. Mm -hmm. I learned much. And then from there, I, I rode, I rode with a lot of different people. I did the kind of typical start for most people, I think in the U.S. anyway, with 4-H and got involved with that. Really quickly realized I did not fit into that crowd very well, which... I'm going to consider a blessing now, but uh, just because some of the politics going on in the show world, I'm sure you both know, it's just, it's a lot for someone who's a little bit more sensitive to deal with. So uh, that's how I got started. And then I very quickly found a trainer. Her name is Andrea Parker, and she's a dressage rider. And she was just coming into her Grand Prix experience, I guess you could say, with her, with her horse, first Grand Prix horse that she ever had. And I just remember watching her ride one day and something clicked for me and I really just wanted to get a taste of that. So I started taking lessons with her and following her around everywhere she was going all over the bar. I just wouldn't leave her alone. So that eventually turned into a little bit of like an informal apprenticeship where I would go 
spend all day. Let's see. After that, I came in touch with another trainer who was more, she's Western background and worked with Ray Hunt a bit and was kind of into the, the bridal horse world. And she, I would say she taught me how to have a little bit more fun with all of this and got me a little more connected with the animal, I would say on a deeper, more intuitive level. So those were my, my two main teachers. And so I've ridden, I've ridden some Western, I've ridden cutting horses before I've done a ton of trail riding, some, you know, showing in both like Huntsy Western pleasure, just kind of got taste of everything and slowly, but surely started working for something a little bit deeper, you know, a bit of a, a journey. Oh, what a rich collection of experiences. That was all in childhood, basically, right? Like teenage years and. Yeah, teenage years. I took a bit of a break from riding in my late teens, early 20s, and then got back into it and then got back out of it for a little while. That happened a couple of times where I would go a couple of years without touching a horse at all. And actually, I, I would not trade that really for anything. I think that a lot of the uh, experience and time that I had away from horses actually enriched my experience with horses when I came back to them. Can you speak to maybe, and you don't have to come up with an actual, like for sure, but what do you think that is? Because I think that's fascinating. Well, I think a lot of, you know, a lot of working with horses is so mental. I mean, it can be. And uh, if you're willing to go there. And for myself, all the times that I stopped riding, which was maybe two or three, I never stopped thinking about it. I thought about it every day. There was even times where I was like, oh, I'm not going to do anything with this in my life. You know what? But I, I just never stopped thinking about it. It's like that quiet voice in the back of your mind that's always telling you to look again at something that it was doing that with the horses for me, I would say. So I would think about riding almost every day. You know, I, I actually don't think that there was a day that I didn't think about it. So I was just developing, I think, that more mental aspect of it, that feeling and, and, those inner images that I've now come to realize are so important. If you're really interested in something and you, you want it to make, when I say you, I mean like the proverbially, proverbial you, you want to make it like a central part of your life. I think it's a really good test to step away from it for a while. I think it gives a good perspective. At least it did for me. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I can relate to that in other parts of my life too, like with music, I would kind of was really obsessed with it and then would kind of find myself being away from it. And then you sit back down and do your art and it just feels like richer. And I was even kind of surprised, like, wait, I thought I had to practice like hours a day to keep improving, but I feel like I'm like better than I was. So there is something going on in the mind, right? With that, the way you're psyche processes information and makes associations it's like you continue training in your mind and and i know that's a big part of your tradition now yeah uh, which i and believe me i want to just jump right ahead and just get like what well, tell me everything about working at the barbiers and all this visualization power but i want to ask you before i forget you you mentioned when you're working with the other lady who had buddy with ray hunt a little bit mm -hmm. that she kind of helped you discover some joy and yeah, have more fun with it. I was just wondering yeah. if you could share a little more about that. Like what, what did you mean and what did she do to do that? Yeah. So let me step back a little bit. Actually, when I was telling that story, I realized I actually met her at around the same time, if not slightly before the dressage trainer too. So they were kind of 
fused together. I would kind of go work with one and go work with the other. And that happened a bit for, I mean, that happened quite a bit for a few years. But anyway, she, she just noticed, I think right away that I was just based on some of the experiences that I had with my young horse and with, although the person I was working with initially was very knowledgeable, she, I think, put a lot, she could see that I was capable of things and therefore kind of put a lot of stuff together with me quickly, maybe things that I wasn't ready for necessarily. So I would take my horse out to this woman's place. Her name was Starla. She would just watch me working with my horse. And I think she just realized really quickly that it was all very, way too serious. I mean, I was longlining this three-year-old Morgan and there was no connection happening at all. All this stuff going on, all this equipment, all this bullshit, to be honest, you know, I have a better way of saying it right now, but uh, she just realized really quickly, like, you, you need to connect and you need to relax and you need to have fun. So we didn't do any, any technical stuff. We just went on trail rides for quite a while. You know, and little lessons would come out. Wow. What a great teacher. That's, that's beautiful. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and was this all in Washington, Jacob? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Central Washington. And then I was going to ask about, I think her name was Andrea, the, the dressage writer that you worked with. When you said you saw her one day, or maybe it was a series of days, but uh, what was it that clicked for you that you were like, I have to spend time with her and learn about what she's doing and how she's writing? I would just say there's just a general beauty about it. I mean, watching it, that the aesthetic was remarkable. I was totally confused by it. Like, how does she do that? So it raised this big question in me of, of wanting to understand how, how someone can sit on a horse and get all of these amazing things to happen. Yeah. When you see something really beautiful, you know, it strikes you in the right way. You step back and you think about it a little bit. It was one of those moments. Nice. Wow. Yeah. That <laughs> resonates for me too. I, I remember having many of those throughout my young life with horses. And it, yeah, it was first the beauty or the thing that sort of captures your imagination that you're seeing. And then it's the curiosity. Yeah. Like how, like, how did they, how are they doing that? I, I gotta know. Yeah. Totally. Maybe we could jump forward a little bit just to take a snapshot of like a present day in your life. I know you're down in Healdsburg right now, which, you know, yeah. Healdsburg to us is like paradise. Uh, I, I just love hearing anything about it. But <laughs> you're also, and just to set the scene for our listeners, like Barbier Farms is this beautiful arena set behind a vineyard of wine grapes bordering like a, a salmon run creek to the canyon all and, and a canyon rolling hills like just dry canyon uh, but then there's this beautiful river running through it there's wine and cheese and just like <laughs> fresh food happening everywhere beautiful interesting kind people so it's a, just to set the scene but yeah <laughs> i did not know that salmon ran through that river actually very uh, interesting Somebody told me that at the symposium, I was like mentioning how cool it is. There's like literally a creek on the property and he said, oh yeah, and it's really protected because it's a salmon run. So, cause you know, drought is such a concern in California, but that's a very protected river right there. So wow. that's cool. Well, yeah, a typical day would be that I go to this beautiful place that you just described so well, and it's a gorgeous drive there every day when I drive there, I'm just like. So lucky to get to, to drive up this road every day. So I get, I usually get to the barn like around nine or 10 in the morning and 
the assistant trainer, Lauren, is mostly in charge of running the day-to-day in the barn along with Deborah, Dominique's wife. And I get there and it's very, it's none of it's really very planned, to be honest with you. We just kind of look at each other and go, what are we doing today? And I usually ride two or three horses a day. I've been really lucky lately to get to ride that much. It's not really very planned. So I'll stay, I'll stick around and I'll ride and help out with whatever they need help with. And it's just very fluid that way. There's no real structure to it other than just being there and absorbing. And every, you know, everything that we do is very intentional there, right down to getting the horse ready in the stall. You know, that was actually, when I came here as a working student, that was my very first lesson was how they move the horse in the stall. So we get the horses ready in the stall. We don't tie them unless they, you know, they're new at it and need to be tied, but we move them from wall to wall. And that's an important thing with stallions in particular. We do have a lot of stallions at the barn and uh, the stallion handling is something that a person needs to be aware of if they're here. But, but really at the beginning of how you form the communication with the horse in the, in the work in the end, as I'm sure that you did some of that, yes, when you came and uh, did an intensive at the bar gates. Yeah, the work in hand. Yeah, it was, it was really, really amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So that was my first lesson. We just, I moved the horse back and forth in the stall. So I guess that point in saying that is that the, that thread of, I'm going to say, like more sensitive thinking or approach to working with the horses and, and everything that we do there. I think that's just, I just want to take a second and just let that soak in because right. something that I've noticed over the years and something I'm really trying to articulate better with our student is the importance of uh, the on the ground stuff in your routines, in your preparing your horse and getting them, you know, ready to do whatever your work session is going to be that day. Like I feel like in the way I learned as a kid and even when I was apprenticing as a professional, there's a mindlessness to that part. It was get it done, especially as a head apprentice at a Joe barn. It was like, get it done as fast as you can. There's no time for anything other than get that horse ready. And I've just been really trying to figure out that piece of like the second you enter that horse's vortex of energy, the second you're in presence with them. We call it the horse field. I just have to throw that out to the horse field. Yes, it's true. And uh, that's when it all begins. And to have sort of a very mindful routine that is organic and and sort of living and dynamic, but also very clear and and articulate and and meaningful. And I love that. Yeah. One of the people that I worked with before, the the, the, uh, woman that works with Gray Hentovich, she taught me a lot of that as well. Mm -hmm. So I think it was actually a very refreshing feeling to go there in the first day, have them emphasize the importance of that. Mm-hmm. A pretty good indicator to me that I was in the right place. Because I know exactly that feeling that you're talking about. And uh, now actually having gone into the world, worked with, working with some horses and coming back here, I almost can't do it. If I'm in a situation where that's happening, that's something that I viscerally disagree with almost. Like it, I will not go further with the horse until I've established some form of communication on the ground because it is amazing to see the disconnect there and, and it happens a lot. Yeah. One of those things, once you see it, you can't unsee it. And in this case, unfeel it, right? 
Exactly. Yeah. Like we had to get away from more performance centric work and we enjoyed working with kids. We'd done some horse camps and stuff in the summer and we thought, okay, let's do that. There was a need for it in our community. And that was one of the things they really taught us was the kid, the kids. Yeah. They would just, they were in no hurry, right? They just love hanging out with the horses. They weren't necessarily in a hurry to get to the arena and ride, even though they had a limited time. You could just see like the co-regulation between the kids and the horses happening and what they really connected. And then the horses took care of the kids, even though their balance wasn't that good. They were giving imperfect cues, of course, but there was just this interplay that happened. It was just like such a great demonstration of how you build that relationship and communication and affinity, you know, before you really ask anything. And that was a really beautiful display. And then, then of course, when we visited you guys down in Healdsburg, there was just this air of mindful presence. I was kind of lacking the intensity that I was expecting a little bit of just knowing the caliber of forces there and the calibers of achievement and knowledge that was there. I expected there to be a little more intensity. It was just so peaceful. Everybody was so focused, almost monk-like, you know, it was just kind of this inward vibe and realizing that that was how you guys were connecting to the horses was really beautiful to see. That's so cool. And I love that you picked up on it so quickly. I looked at Josh and I'm like, how is this pot? Like, I didn't know that places like this existed. We we were tripping. And it was, of course, like dream come true. But like the key that made it so special was the caliber of horsemanship too. I mean, I think I've been around a lot of people who, you know, want to just be in in contact with horses. And then the level of actual horsemanship is a little like, okay, you know, there's not going to be anything happening that high level or sort of inspiring in terms of what we're going to see happen between horses and humans yeah and was what was so amazing it was this this beautiful energy that was just like so relaxed and grounded but then also sort of mystical Mm -hmm. and (laughs) it was just i just and like didn't know what to think the whole time i was like yeah how are they doing this like (laughs) how are they getting away with this they just are like having fun with horses but still like doing this amazing, beautiful level of horsemanship that's beyond anything that is that I even thought was possible. So yeah, it, it was just very cool. I'm fangirling a little bit. But well, you, that's how I feel too, being there. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's pretty amazing. So I'm curious if we could, this might be a big, big question, but so you had those experiences when you were younger, really mm-hmm. cool diversity, sounds like some good mentors. What in you made you attracted to this path of enlightened French classical writing, what caused you to seek that? Because that's really unique. Okay, so for me, that isn't a big question. That's a big one, I know. For me, okay, so if if you look back at, or if we look back at kind of the two different mentors that I had, there was a bit of, uh, there was a contrast between the two for sure. One was very technical, highly encouraging, very nice person to be around, but very technical. And then the other one was like totally the opposite wonderful person again very feel-based very very in tune not technical at all really not not even to the point to the point where sometimes i was almost a little frustrated because i knew she could do so much more but she just didn't care to so for me it's always kind of been about balancing those things out understanding some of the more nuanced pieces of it all but but lightness has always been the thing that i've been after maybe when i didn't even know what to call it 
it was something that I always aspired to have that feeling. And I noticed a lot in dressage that that wasn't actually happening. It's talked about a lot. You even see people having moments of loosening their reins, you know, and things like that, but it's all still very held. And you can see that. And actually a lot of times, the less you know, technically, the more you can see it. It's been my experience. When I talk with people that don't know anything about it, they'll watch that type of a thing and then they'll watch someone in real lightness and they can see the difference. For me, it was just something I was always after. And when I came across some old videos of Dominique, I saw it right away. And I saw this amazing blend of that connection and sensitivity and let's almost say like not the no need to achieve anything really blended with this like highly skilled work. Hey. Yeah, I, I know we both relate. Have, that's basically similar to what Victoria was just speaking to. What we saw there was like this paradox of this incredible lightness mm-hmm. combined with such a high level of skill. Yeah. It was affirming to like, okay, this really is possible. Yeah. And I know Victoria, one of the, one of the things that you said that really touched me after we were there was that she just felt like the horses were fully expressing themselves. And, and I've heard you speak to that too. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, you have to let go or speak and get out of the way in order for that, for the horse to really come through and express themselves. And that's really what we're, what I'm learning to do here. That's what, that's what it's all about. Really. Oh, exciting. I'm so happy for you. Like I am, like, I wish I just, I mean, the part of me is like, I wish I could do that and maybe someday I will, but I'm, that's why it's like so wonderful to know you and be like, yes, you're doing it. You're (laughs) there learning the thing that we all have been searching for. Yeah. You kind of have always been seeking that. And I think that it's just such a gift that Dominique is willing to talk about it because I think there are other people out there who have found it but they don't talk about it on the same level they don't just get to the point and say look it's it's internal not something that you can do out here technically with your legs or your hands or your seat i'm just gonna say bravery to talk about it that way i think has made it possible for me to you know for people to even pursue that in a more intentional way yeah 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 well said yeah, it's powerful, right? And because of his bravery, like we met, we're having this discussion. Right. We talked to mm-hmm. students of ours. We're always talking about things we saw down there. And it was just, you know, I guess two days and then we went back. So it was very like short amount of days, but it had such an impact. And that reverberates through now, creates so many connections. And I know he's been doing it so long. It's kind of interesting too, like different art, even some religions, like different just philosophical schools of thought, there tends to be thread. It's kind of hidden almost like a mystic order where there's sort of these joyful people who are just really absorbed in the practice and really getting out of the way. And there are certain qualities of that. One of that is an openness to share, mm-hmm. lack of ego. You know, there's a few qualities that are really rare with something that struck us too. I mean, we're going down to wine country in Healdsburg, a bunch of Lusitano stallions, a French classical tradition. <laughs> we expected there to be a little more hoity-toityness, right. you know, and we, we didn't get it, not from Dominique, that's for sure, or Deborah or any of you guys. Yeah. It was really yeah, beautiful. Lauren was just... Yeah, she, Lauren's amazing. She was just so open and kind and generous and low-key about everything. It really was like, huh, we don't have to 
feel any way, but just be here right now. It's like an understated quality to it that I find to be more attractive. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Maybe we could pivot a little bit to your yoga background. We thought and talked about you a lot after we saw you and we've been on Instagram a bunch lately, which is totally new for us. And I saw Yogi Jake followed us and I was like, oh, who's that? And I clicked and I was like, oh my God, that's Jake from Marvier's. <laughs> and I instantly like sent you a message because I was hoping to find out a way to reconnect with you. I was just curious where you're at, what you're up to. And it was the first time I knew that you're a yoga guy, but it made perfect sense because watching you ride, even just the way you hold yourself, you have this lightness and alignment. And I have a background in, in body work and biomechanics and stuff. So as I'm slouching in the chair, but so I, I saw that in you and it really made sense of like, oh, he's into yoga. And then we talked a little bit for this and you had some cool associations between yoga and horsemanship and that lightness and balance. Where did you even find yoga? And then how did that, how did that happen? When I was early twenties, I decided to move to Alaska for a year. My sister lived there just to try some new place. And now uh, it's rigid there in the winter and we started going to hot yoga. That was like really the first <laughs> ever experience I had with the yoga class. It's not something I would do anymore, really. Go into the heat like that for myself. It's not something I enjoy. It was like a really good introduction to, to yoga. I had a there were the teacher there, the studio owner was amazing. I started to feel something. And I just kind of put that in my back pocket. I wasn't sure what I was going to do with that. And then when I went back to Washington, I kept looking for places to, to practice. I found a couple of places but i just wanted more i'm just that type of person too when i find something interesting i want to really sink my teeth into it and so i started looking for teacher trainings and i was online a lot looking at a whole bunch of different ones i had a friend who lived in Kauai who i wanted to go hang out with because she's in Kauai, and uh i thought okay i'll do one of these like eight week programs where i go for like three days a week or something and then i can just hang out with my friend on the island. There were some of those available. And then I came across another one where it was an intensive month long, you know, leave the little compound, so to speak. It was, it seemed very serious. It seemed very potent, but I was kind of resistant actually to it because I was, had this other, whole other expectation in my mind of how I was going to do all of this. But I kept going back to the website. I kept going back and reading about it. And finally it just clicked for me like, okay, you should do this. Something just like my logical mind wasn't there, but something else was pushing me to, to keep looking at the information on their website. So I, I stumbled into a training with a woman who is just an incredible teacher, uh, an incredible master in her own right. And I spent a few years going back and forth, assisting her in her trainings and very similar actually to what I'm doing with the Barbie is now. It's kind of funny. So I spent a lot of time with her and the more grounded I got, the more centered I got, the horses actually did start to creep back into my consciousness a little bit. I was having dreams. I was having feelings and insights about horses and horsemanship and beginning to relate a lot of what I was learning physically in my body to, to riding, but also one of the more eternal work was feeling like it made sense to apply to horses. So then I ended up getting a little project horse that I wasn't really looking for, but someone just sent me a message and said, Hey, you should check this horse out. It came from an auction and it just like needs someone to work with it for a while. So I went up. She was really inexpensive and actually a really nice horse. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing here. I have no plan, but 
I uh, began to realize pretty quickly that something was working better for me than it had in the past. And it had a lot to do with the practices that I was doing. And just being present and being grounded put me in a place of naturally asking the question, what do you need to the horse? It made that sort of my core pursuit with this animal was just to lose out and how can I help you? And that was really effective. And I, I was not working with any specific technique. I wasn't working within any specific discipline. I was just seeing what was possible. And uh, that really, that put some things together for me. It got me thinking a little bit more about the association for me between yoga philosophy and horsemanship. Wow. Yeah. What do you need? What do you need? Yeah. Yeah. We encourage people to think of a mantra or a self-affirming statement when they're working with horses and of course it can change, but that that's a beautiful one. What do you need? And I never thought of that before, but that's, yeah, that's really nice. Yeah. I mean, it was very organic. I just, it just fell onto my lap and I think it was meant to be, it was a really good moment for me to realize like, okay, yeah, you actually do have some, something potentially to offer within this realm of horsemanship. So since then, it's been more of a pursuit of wanting to get more reconnected with horses and figuring out what I want to do with them. So if I'm hearing you correct, like your arc, you, you kind of were away from horses when you're really into yoga and then you literally were having dreams and making associations and then you came back to horses. And this yeah. horse just miraculously appeared. Much. I mean, pretty much. Wow. You traded the cushy kawaii experience for the more hardcore <laughs> like let's really get into this yeah yeah i still ask myself sometimes why i'm not in kawaii sitting on a cushion but you know that's a question i mean that's fair i mean it's only a month's program i think it still maybe could happen we'll join you let's right. let's go. let's make a plan what what tradition of yoga did you learn jacob so that's another interesting question. So yoga is kind of funny that way. Like there's a lot of different styles and things, but really they all sort of boil down to the same thing. She called what she did was Raja yoga, which Raja just means like, it can mean a lot of different things like the royal path or the, uh, let's say the, the enlightened path. It's more focused on meditation. Although, so yoga is a, a balance of different limbs. There are limbs in yoga and I can't name them all right now because my brain doesn't work that way, but there are eight limbs. One of them is meditation. One of them is pranayama, working with the breath and prana also means life force energy. So they use the breath as a bridge to getting into the subtle body a little bit more. Asana, which is the postures, which is what, what most people think of when they think of yoga. The yamas and the niyamas, which is more of an ethical look at yoga. There's another one that I can't think of the name of, but it has to do with working with the senses and then Samadhi, which is like ultimate absorption. So she really placed a focus on all of these things. Practices were very long. We would wake up at 4 a.m. and we would have a little fire ceremony where we would do mantra for like 40 minutes or so. And at first you just sit there and listen because you don't know what anyone is saying, but uh, then you start to pick up on it. and you would just organically start chanting. So we would do that. And then, and then we would uh, do our pranayama and meditation practice, which was another hour. And then we would have breakfast and then we would come back and do asana. So it was a very potent period. It was very contained. It was not easy. It was 
meant to shake people apart and help them transform. So it was intense in that in that regard. So yeah, anyway, I digress a little bit, but she uh, she is a, a Raja yogi. That's great. And I just want to really make that clear to a lot of people, because a lot of us, when we hear the word yoga, we just think about doing stretches, you know, yeah. and, and what you're saying is the word yoga traditionally is a combination of eight things and the stretching is, is one of them, but yeah. it's not at all the main thing. In fact, and correct me if I'm mistaken, but it's really kind of balanced between the eight limbs, like practice of yoga itself. You're yeah, totally. And a lot of us will find our way in through one or two limbs. Mm -hmm. But then you start to realize that that one thing that you're doing actually encompasses all of these other things. So it just works together that way. It, uh, there's no way that it can't. If you really, if you really are interested in going deeper with it, eventually you'll start asking yourself questions that lead you to those other limbs. Wonderful. I I'm already seeing some parallels to horsemanship there exactly. that there's, it's not like one thing, you know, it's, it takes all these things. And yeah, you had mentioned to us when we talked before that your yoga teacher destroyed your life <laughs> and the context was, it was a very positive thing. Yeah. That's actually a quote from a different yogi. His name is Richard Freeman. And he's someone that I uh, admire a lot, but she did actually do the same thing so he he likes to say uh yoga yoga destroys your life but what it means is that well let's just say like even on a physical level you when you start to open up the body like tight shoes are no longer comfortable pants that don't stretch are no longer comfortable hairs that sit you back too much are no longer comfortable things like that so um, and then beyond that when you begin to develop what i like to call the equanimous mind that centered place no longer that interesting to argue with. You don't have like a real firm opinion on much. You end up kind of in the middle of things and that can frustrate people. It just kind of tears apart a lot of the like socially constructed things about, you know, being human. So that way it kind of ruins your, let's say your uh, superficial life. Similar to when you saw Dominique and Lauren and Deborah ride, right? You said that like, you couldn't really go back. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can't you can no longer ignore certain things that you, that you would have ignored by ignorance before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so then with that kind of comes like a newfound sense of responsibility too, that you, at least for me, you can't. I can't really ignore it. I suppose you could make that choice. I don't know that it would be easy though to go back to it. Let's say like a less vibrational way of being. Yeah, I think I, that's that's kind of what the heart of what we're talking about today even. I mean, I know for us, the kids program was a major catalyst, but there's been many in terms of our horse life, many things along the way that have just like once you see horses relating to kids, when kids aren't putting any expectations on the interaction, you can't unsee that. Once you see how the horses start to give themselves and and how they think and feel to the kids, and it's that's beautiful inner, but you can't you can't go back. Yeah, you can't ignore that. And I think a lot of horse people do see that. Like, I mean, I've I've experienced that a lot with horses that having ridden horses that I would have considered to be difficult in the past. And then watching a little kid get on him and the horse just takes care of him. Right. So they, all of that baggage is not there and they're not really expecting anything. It's just, they're just wanting to connect. You know, it's hard to ignore. 
once you see it. I think a lot of times we don't really know what's happening and therefore we don't think much of it. Like that's how it was in the past anyway for me. I was like, oh, why is that horse so good with that little kid, but not with, not with me? It takes a certain, I think you have to be at a certain place in your mind to ask the question, like, why is that happening? You know? Yeah. Because it does happen all the time. It's just, it's funny. It's one of those things that, like, I wish more <laughs> On it's almost like a law. It's like a, a universal law. And I would see my horses, these were school horses, do things for kids, perform or move in ways that I had never seen them move too. It wasn't like they were just packing the kids and keeping them safe. I would start to see them. You would start to see them like, you know, trot the most, you know, magnificent, beautiful trot I'd ever seen right that horse do. I didn't even know that horse was capable of trotting that way. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just that they were all kids and just like packing them around, which there mm -hmm. was some of that too. But uh, yeah, there was, there was some of what I think I've seen when I saw you ride and when I see, you know, any of the Barbier, it's like that. I don't know. It's like an innocence or like a purity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's cool. I'm wondering, we practice breath work, things like box breathing or just mm -hmm. using like equal time inhale and exhale. You said pranayama is the breath limb of yoga. And I'm wondering mm -hmm. if you could share with us what your experience with that, how that translates to horses. And if there was something you could recommend to people that maybe aren't going to go do like an immersion yoga experience and teacher train for two years, like. Do you have any tips for just like normal people that want to use breath work with horses and why do you think it works? I have like final yeah. questions, but I'll, well, you know, I, that's wonderful. The way I think about it is the breath. So pranayama, the term prana means like life force energy, which is what makes up it from a yoga point of view. That's what makes up everything. Everything has a vibration, you know, but the breath for us having this human experience in a body is one of the main bridges to experiencing that subtle, this, what I call the subtle body. And because breath in and of itself is also prana or, you know, air is prana. So you're working with this, the other force, pulling it in and out of the body in an intentional way. So to back that up a little bit, it is very regulating to the nervous system, as I'm sure that you, if you are working with things like box, box breathing equal timing of inhalation and exhalation, all of those things, you're getting in touch with the nervous system in a deeper way and beginning to learn how to regulate the nervous system, which is also involved with the subtle body, you know? So the things that you just mentioned are really great places to start. Just getting an idea of counting your inhale and exhale. It's very interesting. Once you start to do that, you kind of realize like, oh, I take a bigger inhale than an exhale, or I take a, you know, a short choppy inhale or whatever it may be. You start to notice those things because you have some sort of metric for it. You know, you have some way of measuring it. There are the other thing that I would recommend doing is lengthening the exhale more than the inhale. Exhale in general is kind of associated with parasympathetic nervous system. Sympathetic nervous system, which is more fight or flight, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. yeah, it's going to be more associated with the inhale. You know, what do you do when you're afraid? You usually go, you know, right. So you're needing to calm down a little bit. Lengthening the exhale is a really good place to start. 
get it up to twice as long as your inhale, then you're doing some really good work. Oh, wow. Okay. And that's a pretty big ratio. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you can start with like as short as when I'm really nervous and out of whack and a little bit heightened, or if I've been drinking too much coffee for too many days, I take that ratio down and, or I don't take the ratio down, but I take the countdown. I'll, I maybe only inhale for four seconds and exhale for eight seconds. It should never be a strain. If you're, if you're reaching within your body, if you're holding, if you're making weird sounds, you're doing too much. So it should be easy. It should be a step behind one or two steps behind your edge of what is comfortable so that your body can begin to assimilate that. You can work your way up. I mean, I know people that do really long breath counts. Beyond that, once you have some experience with that and some, a good relationship with the breath, then you, you can start working with retentions of the breath, holding the inhale, holding the exhale. Mm-hmm. That needs to be done in a very relaxed frame of mind. Again, like no holding because that's going to cause a different effect. And what that, what that kind of does is it works a little bit more with that fight or flight bonds. Feeling like a lack of oxygen is kind of scary. A lot of times the body will be like, oh my gosh, you have to breathe. But really you have a lot longer than you think. I would say a little bit more for mental space. It also works a little bit with gaining some, let's say, experience with the more intrinsic muscle groups, like the pelvic floor, the diaphragm, the soft palate is one as well. Those are all kind of areas of the body that I said last time I spoke that they have a certain intelligence of their own. And when you start to work with the breath and open the breath up, you start to realize that those areas in the body actually work with the breath in a a very interesting way. So sometimes retaining the breath is a way to feel those centers of the body as well. That's a great nuanced way to explain that. That's, that's awesome. Uh, Gosh, you. You said something earlier, you said a couple of things that I wanted to like put a little, little emphasis <laughs> on a lot of things. I'm just going to try to remember too. One was bringing that sense of ease to the practice. Yes. And I thought that's, that applies to horsemanship, right? Like as soon as you feel strain or you feel a little anxiety or like having to try too hard or putting mm-hmm. too much pressure to get the result you want, like just to dip down a gear is one way to yeah. say it, you know, take your RPMs and bring them down and, and we might hear like a great, you know, yoga person or somebody on YouTube is doing a two minute breath hold and we're like, I'm going to do this and you know, but you're straining and it's hard. So it's like that, it kind of just goes back to like self care, like self love to work with your body. The whole point of the stuff is to enhance embodiment and to feel connected through your body. And we really believe that's how you communicate to horses too, is like through through our bodies, right? Because that's sort of a love language of horses or maybe love language isn't even the right way to say it. It's just kind of how they are. The right? language. The language, <laughs> yeah. The language <laughs> of horses, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's important not to push yourself. And I mean, I've done it. I still sometimes do that. We all do. It's more about recognizing it when it happens and, and having the tools to step back. And a lot of that has to do with just with the ego too. And, and feeling like we need to accomplish something or some sort of a stamp on whatever it is we're doing. That's really where the practices can actually have like a negative effect and they can damage you. The whole point of those practices really like in working with the subtle body and we talk about things like the subtle body and prana, it's building your energy up. It's like, 
I've once heard someone describe it this way. It's like you're creating really fertile soil, essentially, if you want to think about it as in that term. And whatever you plant is going to grow faster based on those practices. So you have to be kind of working with your intentions, with your, with your ego, with that inner voice and just checking yourself all the time. Yeah. Wow. The practice itself helps you develop that awareness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for some people, some people need more guidance with that than others. You know, mm-hmm. like you've, you had mentioned in our previous conversation that you like to print Star Wars a lot, which I love, but it's the same thing. Like you've got the dark side and, and the light side. It's a really kind of like simple way of looking at it, but like they're both using the force. Right. One of, one of them is damaging themselves with it. And the other one is keeping himself with it. Whoa, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, thing our Star Wars. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to borrow that for, for our Star Wars <laughs> vault. I can't remember exactly how it went, but they were describing Darth Vader as uh, so. Someone explaining, I think, to their kid, like who was saying, "Oh, they look really. He looks really scary." And he says, "Inside that scary costume is is a really scared little boy with a lot of really big feelings that he didn't know." It's <laughs> yeah, I love that. I just had to say, yeah. Yeah, it's hilarious, but it's yes. true." Yeah, that's wonderful. The the other thing I wanted to to highlight a little bit that you said too was that sort of a paradox between not straining and using the practice of breath work just to actually train your response to a stimulus. In this case, like holding the breath can kind of trigger a sense of panic or just alarm. And that by practicing that is kind of a safe way to move out your threshold to use like a sports training analogy you're kind of training the curve moving the curve out a little bit and increasing your ability to tolerate stress you know like cold therapies like been all the rage for a couple of years thanks to Wim Hof's stuff that's basically the operating principle behind that too is like if you can train yourself to tolerate even though that's very hard that actually does involve some some tension so in that paradox, and we were, we were just listening, is it Richard, Richard Rohr, R-O-E-R? Actually, R-O-H-R. Okay, R-O-H-R. He was on Brene Brown's podcast. He's uh, like a Franciscan monk. I think he's maybe 80, just incredible. Check it out. I think you'd love it. But So good. Two-part. Had a whole talk about paradox, and he was saying in a lot of like, uh, you know, one of the ways they measure the truth of something is like they're should be a lot of paradox involved, you know, and mm-hmm. when we talk about yoga and horsemanship, I mean, it's paradox city, right? Yeah. All the way. That's really interesting. Oh my gosh. Very rich stuff. Jake, you and Josh were on Facebook. We had a very lovely conversation going on Facebook in our group. Talk about paradox. I mean, we technology, right? We, we resisted it for so long, but we're able to connect and have all these amazing right. conversations now. Yeah, and you it, exactly. And I was just sort of watching it from the periphery for a minute. But you guys were talking about the intersection of yoga and horses. And throughout the years, we've seen yoga and horses start to become a thing. And you see people basically, what I've seen mostly is people stretching on horses. And it's not something that I've ever been really called or interested in. And then no judgment on folks that are doing that but it always seemed to me just from my personal lens sort of using the horses as sort of 
objects or props or tool. You two started talking about it, and I would love to hear you talk more about what you were saying. Well, the we, Facebook. we pulled your quote out, yes. actually, because I thought it was really genius. It was beautiful. Uh, and Jacob said, yeah. <laughs> if we want our equine partners to be well-adjusted, expressive, self-caring beings, that we ourselves must do our best to embody those same qualities. Gaining a general autonomy and equanimity of mind and body will allow us to be truly available for the horse. The less we are in the way, the more they can offer to us. Can you say more about that, please? <laughs> in context to like what you were saying about using the horse a little bit as a prop, it's not something that I'm particularly interested in either. I don't. I can see where someone would go that way. And I think unfortunately, and I'd be curious to hear other opinions on this, but mm -hmm. I, from my perspective, it's a little bit of a misunderstanding of what yoga is and benefits that can be gained from a personal like yoga practice are so profound and they're really just meant for you, like as a being, it's not really, it's not really that those practices, those physical practices, from what I can see, you're not going to glean a whole lot from doing a handstand on a horse. You know, so there's that piece. But really what it does is that, like I said, it's like it gets you to this place of being able to have a sense of evenness in your mind and in your body. And if we want the, like I said, if we want the horses to carry themselves, if we want them to be happy, if, it, if we want them to be expressive, we have to get out of their way. And we are a burden on them when we get on their back. And Mm -hmm. without a doubt so we have to do we have to take that responsibility from from my point of view oh, maybe i should change my language i think it's a good idea to look at it as a responsibility but if i am wanting this sort of a dance to happen with my horse i want to do everything in my power to make it easy so that would include being like physically aligned and getting my center of gravity as close to the horse's center of gravity as possible um, how to move my body in a smooth, graceful, fluid way that's not alarming or abrasive to the animal. And learning how to work with my thoughts in a way that is helpful and not distracting. And because your body will follow your thoughts oftentimes too. In a sense, just within riding with that level of intention, you are practicing yoga on the horse. But the way that makes sense for that animal, you know? If I'm hearing you correctly, it's like you're looking at things through the horse's eyes there too. Our discussion in the group, at first I was just kind of thinking about it mechanically. And I was like, oh, well, yeah, there's a lot of like side bending is one form of Hatha yoga. And I was like, that would decentralize your center of gravity. And the horse would probably kind of be wondering, uh, like, what is this? Yeah. What do they want me to do right now? So it's not really a, probably the accurate place to do a side bend. Yeah. Yeah, we're not doing anything to improve the horse's balance by doing any of those things. Okay. And the whole real gift of dressage is to help the horse find new balance so that they can carry the rider more easily. So if we're, you know, we're thinking about it in those terms, yeah, doing things like side bends and stuff on your horse is just, in my opinion, not going to be helpful really to the relationship. You might get some physical benefit out of it from for yourself, but it's not really bringing the horse into the equation in a sense of giving them what they need 
Yeah. So it's really more of like an invitation, like, hey, there's like this whole other thing going on. Maybe the yoga is better to do before, like at home, before it gets you balanced and embodied and then bring that service to the horse to help bring out its spirit and capabilities. Yeah. I mean, and if you need to like move your shoulders a little bit or do something (laughs) to get yourself centered and relaxed, of course. But I think one of the Thing that happens a lot with yoga is because of its, not to get too preachy, but because of it sort of entering the consumer realm a bit and becoming really branded and all of these different things, we're kind of starting to look at it as something different. And I've always been really careful to, to use what I get from my yoga practice to benefit what I'm doing with the horses. That's really what it's meant to do. It's to then it's to benefit your life. That doesn't mean you have to do, you know, do all of those formal specific practices in any other situation, you know? So it's a little bit of a question of just looking a little bit deeper into like, what is gosh, And is it helpful with horses? Absolutely. I will take that one all the way. Like it's been nothing but helpful for me, but it's not something that I think you need to look at a little bit differently than, than doing actual postures on the horse, I guess. You know, actually some of the potency of yoga i think right yeah and horsemanship arguably kind of of missing both yeah i'd like to i want to hear your thoughts on what enlightened french classical writing is but before we leave the yoga topic you had said earlier the the intelligence of muscles of respiration that's really fascinating you had said something to me before that was really helpful that i was hoping to share with people too because we teach people about the center of gravity in the body on horseback it's basically a pilates cue that i use just because it helped me understand this years ago and it was like imagining a thread from your belly button to your spine say but quantifying that with like not a sucking in or holding of the breath. It's more of a control of your core. It's like getting in touch with your core because it puts your spine in a more stable position. It actually frees your core to be more supple. So that's the key distinction. But I shared with you that I struggle sometimes to like differentiate those things because there's like multiple levels and differentiating factors there. And sometimes it's hard to not feel grace when I'm trying to like initiate my core and to stay supple. Do you mind sharing some of your experience with that? Yeah, I think I told you that what I like to focus on is actually a little bit below the belly button, which is deeper in the pelvis. So there's that. I think when we talk about like, I hear that cue a lot in yoga, draw the belly button to the spine. There is a tendency, it can be a helpful cue, you know, like if someone's really not, everyone knows where their belly button is, you know, and everyone knows how to to some degree, draw their belly button in. So it can be a good jumping off point, but it is more nuanced than that. When you start to think about it in terms of like, I have to hold my belly button, you can actually contract and you can get into some of the bigger muscle groups like rectus abdominis, your abs, that that might actually hold you in a way that, yes, you're like more or less aligned, but the spine actually can't move very freely when you over and get, you know? So when I speak to the intelligence of the muscles, what I, what I mean is that it's like, it's about bringing those muscles online, so to speak, so that they're there and they're available and they're ready to engage when needed. And by getting a little bit deeper into those areas closer to the center of graph, it frees up the torso to move 
a bit more. It's also associated with the breath. So when you breathe in, when you exhale, especially like you take a really deep exhale and you push all the air out of your lungs, you will feel an engagement, a deep engagement in the pelvic area. Oh, well, if you kind of like exhale all the way and then make a little bit of a, oh, kind of feeling at the end of your breath, you'll feel it. And those are the muscles that I'm kind of talking about. Your belly actually has to be kind of soft to do that. You know, can also happen on the inhale. It's a little bit trickier, but you can find that at the, at the peak of your inhale too. That's slightly different engagement, but it's just a feeling that those muscles are all on and they're all kind of working together. And that for me is what allows me to sit up really tall, for example, in the saddle, but still let my back move. It's just having an awareness of those, of those areas. And in order to build that awareness, you have to work with them. And for some people that might mean going too far with it and learning to hold them a little too much and realizing that that's actually causing a different kind of tension. It's just all about finding that middle place. Very not being afraid to play with that a little bit. And the other thing I'll say about the breath that I just like want to add in before we leave that subject is that breath is something that I use to align my spine. When you like the diaphragm is sort of this parachute shape. I actually think of it a little bit more like a jellyfish and it's oh. like this, right? Moves up and down as you breathe. Well, most of us tend to breathe, like, especially with the inhale, we tend to breathe like really into the front of the body, which is, it does utilize the diaphragm. But when you learn to breathe in such a way that you move the rib cage out to the side a little bit, and you can almost feel like you're breathing into your back, like your rib cage is a circle at the bottom, it makes a circle, you know, your spine would be here. And then the front of your ribs right here, the belly. So when you breathe, you kind of, you don't want it to go like this too much. You actually want it to go like this. You want the rib cage to open up and relax back down. And what that does when you learn to breathe, let's say three dimensionally that way, fully in body, it lifts you up and lengthens your spine. And then, so then you're no longer having to force alignment, something that happens a lot, especially in, I see it a lot in dressage. People will say like, and I used to do it. They want you to position your leg a certain way. And then some people who are a little bit more in tune will even say like, you need to balance your rib cage over your pelvis and your shoulders, pelvis and your head over, you know. But if you're trying to do that from like an external place, you have an opportunity to create tension. Right. You allow the breath to move like, and it's a journey. I mean, getting to where your breath can really move your body and inform the alignment of your body, then you're able to, to work with alignment in a softer, a more graceful way, more effective way too. Three-dimensional breathing alignment from the inside out. And those are really good, yeah. really yeah, helpful. You just, you just explain breathing to me in a way to, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to sit with it for a while. And it's, re but it's very helpful. It's something okay. I've been struggling with for a very long time. I think we talked even just the the tradition that I learned in the Western tradition, the the reined cow horses, the cutting. It's I really learned to hold my breath. I really learned to have a lot of tension in in my riding. And, you know, I've had to really work hard at figuring that out. I feel like I'm just starting to kind of get a grasp of it. So that was like just what I needed to hear and this moment because I actually sort of under I just understood it enough to go oh my gosh that's what I have to be starting to think yeah about. 
I'll just tell you an easy, a relatively easy way to feel that would be to lay on the ground, bend your knees so that your feet are, the soles of your feet are on the ground and breathe in such a way that you just explore breathing, especially on the inhale, inhaling to where you can actually feel your mid back touch the ground. Okay. Versus away from the ground. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I get that. I actually... To be honest, when we talked a week or so ago, actually have been doing that every morning. I've been laying on my, and you didn't mention to lay on the back, but I had been working on breath. Yes, I've been doing that and I've been feeling my spine as I breathe. And it's been a sort of a watershed moment for me. Yeah, it's very cool. So yeah, thank you for that. That That's very helpful. And I am going, I got some work to do. (laughs) But have fun with it. Exactly. No, and that's the other piece for me. And I'll just, again, not to keep harping on me and my journey in this, but maybe it's helpful because somebody might hear it and go, yeah, that's what what I yeah, do. Breath work was, had a lot of tension in it. I felt kind of dumb. I felt like I was never going to get it. I felt it was elicit a nervous system activation in which I started to even have like mini panic attacks start yeah. like them coming on and I was like oh this is not so I get that that it has to be relaxed and pressure off yourself for me just starting small like I was just starting with one second and then I've been able to build by following that edict of you know being kind to yourself going slow and just slowly progressing yeah, it's so important if we don't have, because this stuff can get really like heady and complicated and it really is, doesn't have to be that complicated. And and if you can relax about it and try even enjoy what, hopefully you're enjoying a little bit of what you're doing, you know, sometimes it's work. You find that level of enjoyment, then you're going to really get benefit, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Being curious, I think is one one good way to to work with that. I was in a bodywork class once, and when you were talking about breathing through the back, that was an exercise they had us do where we would put our hands on whoever, you know, they pair you up to work with people. So my partner's back, and we would start to be just right in the center because that was pretty easy. And then, then the person breathing was given a visualization to imagine an arrow pressing back into the person's hands, and you feel it, and you're like, whoa, they're really breathing out their back. And then then you put it up on the on the shoulder, and then they would breathe into the shoulder, and then you put one down on here, and then they would say, try to balance between the two. And then you would start, you know, it was just this really neat exploration of like directional breathing. And that was one of the first times I felt that. And it was really profound. I was like, oh my God, there's a lot to going up with breath, like breath and with it's everything. Like obviously you can't, you don't have a lung in your leg. You can't breathe into your leg, but you can breathe in such a way that you get feedback in your leg. Or, you know, the breath actually moves the, the body. We're, we're like this. My teacher used to describe it as you're a cylinder, you know, with openings and you, you're a pressure container, essentially. Uh, right. And like when you build the pressure, everything expands. And when you decrease the pressure, everything comes back to the center. Like learning to oscillate and let your breath actually move your body is a pretty profound and powerful thing. Wow. Yeah. I'm glad you shared your experience too, Victoria, because a lot of people do really have a hard time 
queuing into that. And it's just kind of, and then the self-talk that can come out of that, the emotional responses, it can be not people from continuing to look for and explore that. And one sciencey thing that I shared a picture a while back in, in the Facebook group, but have you ever seen that Jacob? It was called the homunculus. No, I didn't see that. It's like a cartoonish figure. It almost looks like really strange, like claymation. What it does though, is it's, it's of a human body, but it represents how our motor cortex is wired to our body for example like the hands are huge you know it's like a big tongue and big lips but the center of the body gets really like narrow because we you know literally there's not as many motor neurons between those deep core muscles that you said have their own intelligence which i thought was really fascinating like maybe that intelligence isn't so much in that primitive motor cortex part of our brain it's like it has you, you referred to the subtle body so i was just trying to put that all together in my mind nice. and I'm gonna have to look at that. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. But I say that just so hopefully, like that helps people that have a hard time cueing into that because it's it's designed to even though there's all these powerful sizes and and energy behind it, but on a physical level, our body is designed to to breathe without us having to think about it all the time. You yeah. know, so yeah, there's a little bit of a gray area somatically as a result of that. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's a very interesting thing. It can be a really powerful tool because yeah, you don't, you don't really consciously have to think about breathing, but you can also consciously think about breathing. <laughs> oh, the paradox. We yeah. must be getting close to some truth. Yes. Right? Yes. <laughs> it's just all around us. Could you explain to us a little bit about the uh, enlightened classical yes, French dressage go. movement? Cause I yeah. That was kind of the first time I'd really heard about it was Dominique Barbier's books, which had been sitting around our house actually for years and Victoria treasured and we looked at, learned from, but yeah, please, what, what the heck is that? I believe that's just a term that Dominique came up with and started using as a way to create a bit of a distinction between what we see in mainstream dressage versus what he's interested in. One of my favorite things that he'll say is like, if you're clever enough, can make a horse do all kinds of things. It tends to go that direction in the mainstream idea of dressage. How can I, if I push here and hold here and like shove my hips over here, can I make the horse move sideways or can I, you know, things like that. And what he's getting at is more of a communication, a uh, subtle communication. What he's talking about is has so much more to do with how you vibrate and that's why he talks in his teaching he talks a lot about using pictures so because a picture in your mind is going to elicit a certain feeling hopefully which will have an effect on the body the horses communicate in that way as this i mean this is something you guys talk about so much on your page and i love that you do because if you want the horse to embody some feeling you have to be in that place yourself as well so that's the enlightenment piece. It's a moving station. It's not a forcing or a mechanical approach to dressage. Dressage can be approached very mechanically. You can make the horse do all kinds of things. You can train them to do most of the dressage movements can be trained like a trick too. Right. Certain external motivators, but it can also be accomplished through a feel in your body and a feel and end up being in a certain presence in your, in your mind. And that's what he talks a lot about um, helping the horse be in a position or a balance where it can offer you the movement. And where it's almost intuitive to the horse. Yeah. Oh, I can. Yeah, exactly. Like you're, oh, uh, that makes sense. I can do that. 
you know, mm-hmm. uh, making them do it, you know? Yeah. And that's the expression piece too, that I find so amazing because you're actually giving the horse freedom to interpret and express based on that. And of course we want, you know, certain things need to happen in order for the work to, to be done. But that again, comes from a place of being in the right frame of mind. And if something is going wrong and you're, I've been in situations like this learning here where I'm not, something's not working. And then I start resorting to all kinds of weird movements in my body as a way to catch that and just get that back. And really what it is, is I've lost my picture. I've lost the whole feeling inside of what I want to happen. I'm not, I'm not visualizing. I'm not thinking. I'm just reacting at that point. And it's, it's fleeting or it's very fragile. I've heard Dominique talk about, you can hopefully correct me that feeling is almost like those soap bubbles floating in the air. And if you touch, touch them with anything else, but another soap bubble pop, poop, they're gone. Is that a little bit right? That's exactly what I'm talking about. And I'll just give share like a little example for me right now, something I'm working on. One of the movements that we do is pee off where the horse trots in place. And you can, you can definitely mechanize that as well. But the way that we do it, it's so mental. It has so much to do just with the balance and having the right picture in your mind. I can really only get like four or five steps of yeah, before I need to stop. So then I watch someone else do it, like Lauren or Dominique, and they can sit there and pee off for as long as they want to. And it's like, wow, you have such a strong intention and feeling coming through your body that you're able to sustain for such a long period of time. Like that's where I'm thinking, that's where I'm impressed these days. You can hold that. It's like we're working with the breath. Like when we talked about retention, it's like, how long can you hold that in a place of relaxation? Right. Go to a place of forcing it just pops that bubble that you're talking about. Yes. Wow. Great when you tie that practice back together too, really see how there's a thread between those two things. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, that's, that's how I would define it, you know, for lack of a better way of doing it, of what enlightened classical French dressages. Because there is a system of classical French dressage that can also be done in certain hands, can be done quite mechanically as well. Right. And does that go back to when you had mentioned when you began working at the Barbiers, even the first time you had to relearn everything? Yeah. I was in a place, as I mentioned, I think last time we spoke, where I was totally ready for it, and I knew it was going to be wildly different than anything I had done before. So I was ready in that regard. I didn't try too much weird stuff. Like I knew that we don't use a lot of leg to turn the horse or a lot of rain. So I was already not doing that as much as I could. But as a result of that, I couldn't really get the horse to go anywhere that I wanted. And I was fine with that. I was like, okay, I'm going to trust that this is going to turn into something. And there were definitely moments of depression. But yeah, in that regard, I did have to relearn everything. I realized how much even some of the saddles I was sitting in were position and incorrect right. and allowing my legs to balance me versus my center of gravity to balance me things like that so just even finding a new level of balance on the horse in terms of relearning that was huge still huge yeah so it was it was a big learning group it was like a purposeful all this information dump it all out we're going to start again and it is really relatable and I can think back to things that I used to do or know and equate those things. But then some of it's like just throwing that one away. That's not useful to me anymore. Seems like a big leap of faith on your part. Like you said, you there were kind of moments where you had to dig deep for trust to keep going with that. And 
Yeah. I'm trying to figure it out more. I'm always finding this connection between like trust is a two-way street between humans and horses. So something I thought was so beautifully displayed down there was again, that expression. And it seems like maybe that's part of it. I know it's like yoga, there's many limbs, there's many paths to what is happening there. That method you guys are using of more visualization, intention, and really leaning into that, that that is developing that two-way trust too, between, between you and the horses. Totally. I mean, yeah, that's exactly it. He talks a lot about, you have to say a lot of times, you have to let them do the movement. That's trusting the animal. That's trusting the horse too. <laughs> no kidding. Cool. You know, it's oftentimes way over managed. Everything that people do in their writing. I would say, especially in dressage and some of just some of the higher schools of discipline. It's oh, like, yeah. you know, you get into a place of over managing your horse really fast. Yeah. yeah. And that, that's putting it lightly at the high levels we there's outright horrendous horse abuse too and which we don't need to go into that but but yeah that's i think this enlightened path you're talking about is just so important and speaks to both the horse and the human potential right. too because really that other stuff is just cutting human potential down too yeah um, it and it's kind of it's kind of sad yeah yeah that's a really good point i think the other piece is just what horses then can offer us we just stamp that down when we try to control or put too much expectations on it. We, we dismiss the point, I think. And I found myself in a position where, yeah, it's not having any fun. And I couldn't even remember why I wanted to do horses, you know, for a minute, because that doorway was closed and it was closed because of the lack of sort of reciprocity happening through the control. Yeah. It's a thing. Yeah. There's a thing. (laughs) Do you practice? I'm curious, like we talked about how yoga from alignment and balance point of view and the breath, the visualization part, that that's something I know is a big part of uh, Dominique and Deborah's teaching style. Do you hone that tool outside of horsemanship? Like, do you practice visualization at home? Yeah. Yeah. It is something within yoga too that you work with a little bit, but yes, I, I try to. And actually, anytime I'm struggling with something, when I go home, I'll usually sit down and close my eyes, like something with the horses. I'll go home and close my eyes and reimagine the whole thing and try to feel every stride of it as a way to put a different impression on myself. So it's how I can work with that. And then, yeah, we do, both my partner and I like to visualize things that we're after. <laughs> right. Kind of like mm-hmm. a manifestation practice in a sense too. Yeah. And yeah. Or even talking about things in a certain way, like they've already happened, I think can also. Yes. Yeah. We've been working on that a lot with our language, just talking to each other in conversation, just making sure that. Yeah. That it's the type of language that creates space for magic to happen. Manifestation to happen, that kind of thing. So yeah. Yeah. Do you use that tool in other areas? I think it's powerful to just. Note that you said when something doesn't go great, you go home and revisualize it. I know in uh, like sports psychology, that's really used a lot. And it's not just daydreaming about everything being perfect. It's actually visualizing, the, you know, yourself doing things are going great. And then things are going sideways and visualizing how come back. Yeah. 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 I like that. That makes a lot of sense. 
my uh, music teacher, which isn't far from you right now, he, he's a great master musician and he talks when he creates compositions, he talks about that visualization component too. I thought that was really fascinating because I was listening to Dominique and I was thinking, wow, Swampon Chaudhary is just like 30 or 40 miles away from here. And, and 20 years ago, I was sitting in his class and he was talking about seeing, he sees the compositions like forming, you know, he's like visualizes it in front of him. And to me at the time, I was struggling with just the basic mechanics of getting sound out of the instrument. It was just like, okay, I'm not even going to go there right now. <laughs> I just need to like figure out how to do this more basic thing. But I thought that was powerful. And so it seems like that's something like we talked about those mystic threads, and the mystic paths, that seemed like something they share in common is this totally. visualizing. What's, what's on the horizon for you? Do you have any, any visualizations of what? You want to share your visualization? I'm here right now and a big part of it, it does kind of require a bit a lot of energy just be here and do this. So that's what I'm most focused on is just absorbing and digesting. But yeah, I do have intentions of, and it can look a lot of different ways. I haven't really nailed down exactly how I want to share this, but it does look something like potentially having a place, a facility of my own or working, partnering on a, on a place with someone and just continuing to share some of these deeper ideas with the horse community, maybe even people outside of the, the horse community. Ready. Right. I love yeah. that. We'll have to stay connected. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Is there anything you wanted to share? Like any, anything you're involved with, or if you want to, people to know how to reach out to you or anything like that? Well, like if anyone wants to reach out, they can definitely get a hold of me on Instagram. It's probably the easiest way. It's Yogi Jake. That name might change. I don't know. We'll see. I don't use Instagram that often, but now I'm getting more into it. So and realizing the power of that tool. Another paradox. I don't know. I would just say if you're interested in any of this to read his books, like reading books. He am reading right now and I, I opened it because I do some of their social media stuff for them and they have, they've re, redone the uh, sketches of equestrian art. Mm. Oh, that book because he has little explanations of different movements and they're these beautiful drawings with really good tool for enhancing your own inner image of all of this. Right. The visualization piece, that would be so helpful. Right. What's that called again? Sketches of equestrian art. I opened one of these to a, a really cool quote, if you are curious to hear it. So very curious. He says, just a little picture of him with his, uh, one of his horses. It says, there is no room for doubt. Be as centered and as true to yourself as possible. Your horse will know exactly who you are and what you feel. Take the, uh, take time to enjoy the pleasure of each new contact. Remember, you're both experiencing the ongoing process of knowing each other. Oh, and I thought it was definitely a good one to talk about just because of our conversations about congruency and things of that nature. But in my mind, that's what he's getting at. Yep. He puts it so simply and so beautifully and in a way that that could apply to any interaction or relationship you're having, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. If I could give anyone any advice about if who's interested in some of this type of thinking, it would just to be read all of his books. They're, they're really quite friendly to read, you know, you don't have to work too hard on understanding it and you'll understand it kind of whatever, whatever level you're at. Yeah. Level. 
Yeah. And they're beautiful. The photography's beautiful. So yeah, that's Dominique Barbier's books. And yeah. Self-written. No, I'm just, yeah, I'm just a student right now. That's really what I'm the most focused on. That's this beautiful. It's a good place to be. Yeah. Okay. How about this one? What are the top three things, if you could only tell people three things that are important or meaningful about horses, what would they be? Three, three things, three qualities, however you want to say it. One, I would, one that I think about a lot is that they teach me how to not be so serious about myself. I'm not taking it all too seriously. Anytime you think you know something, they're there to show you that you have more to learn. So that's one. See what else? I would say that, you know, horses have a really, they have a huge vibration. And science has talked a lot about this, you know, the feel that they create just from their heart alone. It's, it's huge. Yeah. And, and uh, so even if you aren't someone who thinks about things in a little bit more of a, let's say, like a woo-woo kind of way, I don't like that word, but I'm lacking another one. It is just so important to know that horses feel things on a, a level that we can't even really begin to understand. And so it's just so important to, to take that into consideration and to them with respect to their sensitivity, I would say. It's humongous. Yeah, that's when they just silence. Or yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's sink in. Well, I think that's really beautiful because uh, some some people that we talk to, they're not so interested in actually riding and being, you know, equestrians. They're maybe they volunteer at a sanctuary or working with horses in a therapeutic settings. So I think just, just knowing that, that, you know, the groundwork for one thing and just that energetic component and, and really, I think everybody sort of feels that subconsciously, but just really naming it and, and talking about that is really important. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. In terms yeah, of the, really, that's, those are the two big ones, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I love the seriousness one too. I, I was, yeah. you know, pretty new to horses when I met Victoria. So it was, I came in with a beginner's mind. I literally didn't know anything or had been to anything. And we used to do these um, schooling shows for our clients and we made them really fun and light. I was really surprised at just kind of the general, like intense, serious vibe. There's and the frowns. I just assume, I like, hey, these people are living their dream. They have horses, they're hauling their horses on trailers, they get to ride them in arenas and get ribbons and prizes. I just thought everybody would be like kind of in this blissful state and it was like yeah. a real shock. And I was like, whoa, he's kind of stressful. I mean, this is serious, <laughs> like, you know. Yeah, I, I actually remember one of the lessons that I've had with Dominique, he, I, he always asked at the end of his lesson, do you have any questions? And most of the time, you know, you're just kind of so at least yeah. taken back by what just happened that I don't really have a question they come later but uh, i did ask him i said well if there's just one thing that you think i could work on to improve overall like what would that be and he just like, smiled more and i was like at first i was like bullshit answer like about here but he means it and it's like if you can't enjoy what you're doing you're not going to get good results first of all and being in a place of joy when you're doing what you're doing is really what's going to give you the juicy stuff, I think. Mm -hmm. And and you can you can smile like I think people like he does it sometimes. He doesn't always smile when he's riding, but he's still kind of smiling. Mm -hmm. Normal smile with your body in a way like, where you feel like the effect of of joy in your body, and that's I think what gives you the most vibration with the horse. You know, 
Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's gorgeous. And it's the thing with joy is it's got to come from a place where there was some, there was some struggle. There was some learning. There was some, some yeah. stuff that had to be worked through and traveled through. So, I mean, that's, again, we're just back to the paradox, but that's joy. It's this, this grounded happiness or this, I don't, I don't know how else yeah. to describe it, but it's, it's very authentic. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's not just smile for the sake of smiling. It's mm -hmm. like, feel it like actually smile. Yeah. Yeah. It's huge. I mean, and that's another thing I think that horses teach us is just how to be in the present moment. And if you have, if you're worried about a bunch of stuff when you're a bunch of life stuff, when you're getting, getting going with your horse or riding your horse, you're going to have problems. <laughs> so most of the time something will come up. And so, yeah, I think that just, just like being willing to let go of that stuff and just choose to operate from a place of joy is huge. I mean, it's not easy either, but I think that's really what we're practicing with the horses. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yes. Cause that was a great question too, to ask, by the way, that's a tricky situation when you're a maestro and you're, <laughs> cause you know, like if you just practice, you'll learn everything if you just they already told you what you need to know so kind of like a trick question so you gotta ask me what where can i improve is a great question it also like kind that. of speaks to the relativeness too of it all was it at the symposium where he said that like he's still trying to find the perfect shoulder in you know and and so it's all so relative like it's really not about figuring it out it's just about being in it you know yeah yeah definitely one of my favorite things about him is that he, it's always a work in progress. It's never finished. Right on. I am so thankful that we connected, reconnected, that we got to talk a few days ago, that we're talking now. This conversation has been really meaningful and I'm just feel so much gratitude for being able to just like sit here and be a part of it. And just wondering as you go forth in your day, something you're feeling gratitude these days about yeah. that you would care to share. Well, I mean, I was just going to, I'll just reflect what you're saying too. I'm, I'm so cool to have made this connection and to get to talk to you. It, just to talk to anyone really of, who cares about it in this way is really special. So I'm very grateful to be connected with both of you. And it, I feel like we're just getting started. So that's exciting. Yeah. And then also just that I get, I'm just so grateful that I'm here and that I have a, someone who's supportive in my life that's helping me with my dream and that I just get the opportunity for however long I'm here to just be here and absorb my happy place just is to be in a learning environment. We don't always get, you know, in life, we don't always get those chunks of time. So I feel like when, when they come, it's really special. So I'm leaning into that big time. That's good stuff to lean into. <laughs> Definitely. I'll lean into it and I can't anymore. <laughs> well, I better let you know. We got to pick this up though. Yeah. Oh, definitely. We can do more. I'd love to. Okay. Great. Good. I'm visualizing many podcasts. Which you know, I would love them. Okay. okay. Or there. Yeah. Yep. I know we're going to make it back down there and you're always welcome to come up here. Although I don't know why you would leave Fieldsburg, <laughs> but just the door is open and just <laughs> put it out yeah, there. All right. Right on. I'm going to go ahead and stop recording. And then we'll... All right. Hey, Jacob. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you. Oh, that was great. It was really.